Second Corinthians chapter five, verses seventeen to twenty. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Amen. I know the last few weeks, I know、uh, we've been talking about First Corinthians, right? Corinthians, obviously, this was written by Paul, and Second Corinthians must have been written by Paul, and there's not many opposition against that. So、uh, mainly, we're going to look at who Paul is, what what was his life, and then so that's what we're going to look through, and then what how powerfully his life impact the world even now today. Okay, first of all, he was born nearly around when Jesus was born. So people reportedly said he was born around five BC, BC five. And then he was from Tarsus because Tarsus there was a huge population of Jewish Christian Jewish people, and then it seems like he was a Roman citizen. Maybe his father was a Roman citizen as a Jew, but obviously the Book of Acts said he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was a Nazi. Uh, was a Sanhedrin. Nasim is a president, and Sanhedrin was a seventy people in Jerusalem, in the high religious、uh, leaders all across the Israel. So, if he was educated by Gamaliel, who was a president of the president of Sanhedrin, he must be one of the top scholars in his times. Scholars means scholars of the Jewish laws, Torahs. And then,、uh, as you know, that、uh, you know Jesus was by Jesus' time there was a lot of Pharisees and scribes. They were top leaders. Most of the lawyers they were professional Jewish law Torah. It's those who knew the law and those who really tried to teach the law. So he was one of these mighty top scholars. So you and I we know that、uh, he used to be the persecutor of the Christians because they thought the Christians was blaspheming God. Because Jesus, he claimed himself to God, and he claims himself to the King of the Jews, and then that was a reason that、uh, the Jewish religious leaders, you know, stirred these people up to kill him. It wasn't Roman Empire, it wasn't Roman soldiers, it was Jewish religious leaders to crucify Jesus, and he was one of them. Imagine that how passionate he was, how strong conviction he has that he was doing the right things. By the knowledge of, you know, his knowledge about the laws and the purpose of the nation of Israel, but you and I know all of a sudden his life completely changed. On the way to Damascus, he became blind, and he heard Jesus. Right, and then he was in blindness for three days. Now, his he got his eyesight back. But、uh, Galatians chapter one says he went to Arabia, and that we don't find any records of what he was doing in Arabia. But we know about this three years he disappeared before he appeared to the main ministry. 
So it seems like he was saved, and he knew that something happened, and he praised God, and he went to Arabia, and then later on he came back to Damascus, and he went to Jerusalem to appear himself to the apostles to be prove that he is a real apostle because he cannot be categorized as, as an apostle because apostle means those who witness Jesus' ministry and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. But he could not mean, eyewitness not, you know, to none of this because he was not with Jesus. He didn't eyewitness Jesus' death and he didn't eyewitness Jesus' resurrection. But he eventually, later on, he became apostle. So I, will be, I really believe there was a grace that he met Jesus on the way to Damascus, and he disappeared. And then imagine this confusion in my head. Someone he persecuted against appeared to him. Now all his knowledge, that all his life invested to get the knowledge about the Torah, has been quite, you know, in confusion. So I really believe this is few years in his life before he appeared to be a minister, he wrestled with God. And then he got a new fresh revelation of what is God's heart and what Jesus did for his nation. But the outcome is more outrageous because if he was a Jew of the Jews, which means the Jewish people they had such a pride as a chosen nation, but he started to preach the gospel not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. It's beyond their understanding in the first century. Jews and Gentiles, they should not be together. So that's why Peter Cephas was with the Gentiles, and then when he saw the people from Jerusalem, he withdrew himself because he didn't want to be in a trouble because as a Jew, they're not supposed to be even with the Jews. But Paul, he started to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And then after the first missionary journey in the southern Galatia, which is Asia Minor in modern Turkey now, he came back and he started to hear this rumor and that, no, Gentiles, you should not be part of salvation because salvation is for Jews. If you really want salvation, be circumcised. And people might say, no, we don't, need to second, we don't need to be circumcised. We can be saved. And Paul was angry. His first letter, what we can find is Galatians. In his first letter, we see his quite tough languages. Be cursed. Even he said, even the angels be cursed. And then he said, be castrated. What a strong language this is using. Because he knew that we are part of God's salvation and that no circumcision is needed for the Gentiles. But we can't understand. We don't need circumcision in modern days. But in the first century, it's outrageous. That is not possible for their mindset. So he wrote this letter and eventually he came to Jerusalem and then there was a very important meeting in Jerusalem, we call the Jerusalem Council in 1849. And then he get, they all get together with apostles whether Gentiles can be part of salvation, whether they need to be circumcised. And then there has been a huge debate. And then eyewitnesses. And then eventually the decision is world changing. That Gentile, first Gentiles, can be part of salvation and that no circumcision is needed for the Gentiles. 
And because of that meeting, you and I, now we are sitting here, and then we praise God. What a significant meeting they had. And then more than that, what a significant and an insightful conclusion they came to. So all the human kinds are part of God's grace and mercy, and then we can be saved without having any, uh, you know, without, without any law that was required for men to be circumcised. So, which was good, and then that's, and then he started his second missionary journey, and he visited the churches that he planted, and then maybe he shared this news. Good news! Jesus is a savior, and Gentiles, you are part of God's, you know, plan, and then you don't need to be circumcised. It was, it must have been a shocking, very, you know, very good news. And then, but his life was not only in harmony with the people around, and then we know that uh, he had an argument with Barnabas, because uh, Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Mark was his cousin, Barnabas, and then because Mark left, he didn't finish his mission journey, and then uh, Paul was not happy with Mark, and then Barnabas wanted to take him, but Paul did not. And then the Bible says there was a sharp disagreement, sharp dispute. Dispute argument. So they eventually they departed. They departed from one another, and then and then there was quite a lot of tensions in the Paul's journey. So when first his life and temper was being tamed, I think, especially when we read the book of Galatians and we see how how temper you know what kind of temper he had. But later on, we know that there must have been some kind of reconciliation between him and Mark because Mark was with Paul toward the end of his life. Because he didn't like Mark. Now Mark is supporting him. So we know that his life has been a lot of, you know, uh, tough situation. Of course, the biggest tension was, must have been between him and his fellow Jews because he was a part of this Jewish scholars group. And all of a sudden, this guy, he converted into Christianity. And then I think he has to, he had to run away because Jews must have been, you know, chasing after him to kill him because he was stirring up dissension. So I, one of the reasons that he went to Arabia is to hide himself from the, you know, from this kind of a trial to kill him. That's my conviction. So in, it means he had a conflict with his own people simply because he knew Jesus. But in his life, later on, he still had this conflict. So, now, we, in the book of Galatians, Corinthians, I think, there has, it seems there has been a, quite a lot of conflicts. So, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we see a lot of language, a word, reconciliation, reconcile. And then this word, reconciliation, only appears in Paul's letters in New Testament books. No other, no other writer is talking about writing, you know, using this word, reconciliation. So, I'm going to talk about the relations between Paul and the church in Corinth. Paul, he visited his church, and he found this church during his second missionary journey. And he wrote a letter. Okay, I just said this in the beginning. I don't want to confuse you. If you want to find more about this, I'm going to put this on website. You can find it more. And then there was there were four letters to the church in Corinth, but we don't have two letters. Two letters missing. 
Now we have two letters, only two letters, two missing, two in the Bible book. And then uh, after he uh, found the church, he wrote a letter to the church because there was a lot of sexual immorality because church, the, the area of Corinth was a you know, center of a Greek philosophy and at the same time, Greek mythology, a lot of debauchery and sexual immorality is included. And in the new, in this baby church, there has been a lot of former lifestyles, you know. And then he wrote the church not to associate with it this immoral. And then later on, the Chloe, one of the church members, reported what kind of problems they have. So he wrote a second letter answering this question. That is our First Corinthians. That's why in First Corinthians, a few first seven, eight chapters, we see a lot of different issues he's mentioning because we assume that there has been a lot of questions about you know these issues. And Paul answered these questions, and he visited the church. But he said this was a painful visit. Because from the beginning, there was quite a dissension in the church. Some people, they, Paul, they follow Apollos. Some people, they didn't like Paul. It seems Paul was not as good enough as the other uh, you know, apostles in his teaching, speaking specifically. Because uh, Greek people, they really loved good speaking. It seems that Paul was a little bit less than the other apostles. So he visited the church, but it was a painful visit, the Bible says. So after his painful visit, he wrote another letter, but this letter was very severe and rebuking to get reconciled. But it brings more tensions. You see, the things going worse and worse. He visited the church, he tried to sort this church out, but getting bigger. So he planned to visit the church, but he said, I'm not going to have any second painful visit. So instead, he wrote a letter, the second letter. Oh, oh this is a fourth letter. So the fourth letter is a second Corinthians. Now we have second Corinthians. So that's why in this letter, we see a lot of his you know, emotions as well. He's tried to get reconciled with the church. So this letter has been a, a for imposed life. This for this letter has been a very significant for him to get reconciled with the church in Corinth, and in this letter we find this uh, this passage that I read out, and then I just read it again. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And he was talking that uh, there were kind of super apostles, people they claimed themselves to be a super apostle in the church of Corinth, but he might not be the super apostles, but he says, when I'm weak, God is strong. The grace has been sufficient. So after this, Later, he actually visited Corinth again, and then he stayed in Corinth, and then he wrote a letter to Rome, church in Rome. So straight after this, all these tensions, he went to Corinth, and then in Second Corinthians chapter 7, 8, we even know that he was collecting money. How awkward it can be. He has a bad relationship with the church, and then he's visiting the church. Now he's collecting the money to help people in Jerusalem. But it seems like there has been a reconciliation. So he was persistent. He didn't give up reconciling. 
himself with the church. And in Rome, uh, in Corinth, he was writing a letter to Rome. But, you know, Romans, I'm sorry. Romans, what a book. Amazingly profound book. Inspired so many people, like Martin Luther. He was inspired for his reformation. It was one, chapter 1, 17, 18. So this letter within Romans is full of doctrines we believe it is. But this is not just doctrinal book. This is not a book about doctrines. Romans is a book about reconciling two groups. Because in the Church of Rome, there are divisions between Jews and Gentiles in the Church of Rome because Jews were expelled. They, they were expelled from the city of Rome by the Roman Empire. And then now, finally, they were released to come back to settle in Rome. And then you see the you know, vacancy of a few years. In the church, dominantly, it became Gentiles. And as a Gentile Christians, they were following their traditions, eating, dressing, everything was different from Jews. And then Jews were not happy, and then quite a lot of dissensions. And then when Paul was near about this, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And then Romans. And then that's why when we're reading the book of Romans, sometimes he's addressing to Jews, and sometimes Gentiles, and Jews and Gentiles. You see two different audiences. And then, but he's saying both are equally under condemnation, judgment. But it's God's grace. And then from chapter 12 onward, we see he's quite a lot of practical applications. And then that's Paul's way to write a letter. He's starting with the theology and then moving on to practical applications. So, <clears throat> can we have that PowerPoint, please? So, on chapter 12 onward of the book of Romans, we see a lot of commands and advice. Commands are very direct addressing, right? Uh, okay, so let's just start with this. Uh, the Maybe the key verse of the book of Romans is chapter 15, 5, 6. Can we read out together? May the God of steadfast and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. One another, specifically Jews and Gentiles together, to glorify God. Even in, even with the differences, they are saved to glorify God all together with one voice. That was his heart. So can we? F- so these are the direct commands or advice to the church in Romans. Can we just read, you know, a few of these? Oh, I don't, because we don't have enough time. Can you just read it by yourself? Next. Next.
Yes. You can find a lot more. As I stress that this letter was written almost straight after his reconciliation with the church in Corinth. And then now, okay, now uh, I'm going to jump into other uh, Paul's letters, with, especially those who were written in prison when he was in Rome. Uh, that is the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Okay, can, can we just close this? Okay, book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon must have been written almost same time and written and sent by the same people. So, if Paul is a writer of these books, and if so, Paul has a single mind. When he was writing these people, uh, these books, and then because most of the audience of these books are same, so by this time, it was about at least five or six years after his reconciliation with the church in Corinth. And then uh, this is time that his doctrine was almost, you know, consolidated and strong and strong, firmly founded. And then this is a strong belief. And then I just read it out in Ephesians chapter 1. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that is set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. All wisdom and in God's fullness time, the mystery was revealed. The Colossians said the mystery is Jesus Christ. Jesus was revealed. The reason is to gather up all things in heaven and earth. Because of that, the second chapter says, In his flesh he has made both groups into one, and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. In the first century, there was a dividing wall in, uh, in Jerusalem temple. In Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple, the temple was almost finished. It took about 70 years to build a temple in Jerusalem. Now, this is the time they're almost finished. And then, in this temple, there was a little, little, you know, stone pillars. And then, this pillar is dividing wall between the Jews and Gentiles. If the Gentile was crossing over this pillar, and they were stoned to death. So, that was a dividing wall. Paul was not talking about invisible wall. He was talking about real dividing wall. And he said that Jesus has broken this wall down. Then it must have been a radical expression. People were furious. They were angry when they hear it as Jews. But he said this dividing wall was broken down. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was a place to dwell, and through him... God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. We still see that Jesus died and his death, his blood is to reconcile, bring all things together. And Philemon is a personal letter, but Philemon says, welcome him as you would welcome him. Philemon is written to the Philemon who was in the church in Corinth, Colossia, Colossae, because Onesimus was, was a runaway slave. In the first century, when there was a runaway slave, there was a special law and special spy, you know, police to chase and look for the runaway slave, and then they execute them because Roman Empire was run by slavery system. 
a third of the Roman Empire population was slaves. So there was a specific and severe laws against, uh, you know, slavery one way. And then Onesimus, he ran away, and then he met Paul in Rome. But uh, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, but he knew that Onesimus can be executed publicly. Right? But, but even he knew this fact, but he was sending Onesimus back still to his Philemon because he himself has been through a lot of tensions and reconciliation. So he knew that when Onesimus was saved from his master, there will be you know, a kind of surprising outcome. So that's why he volunteered Onesimus to risk his life to go to his master and be reconciled. And uh, the church tradition says there was a early, first early church father in Asia Minor, and his name is Onesimus. So we pretty much guess that he was, he was forgiven by his master, and he became the church father. His life completely changed. And that is the power of reconciliation. So through these books, we can see that, you know, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, we see that his heart, his main message, his life message was reconciliation. His life message was reconciliation. Think about Jesus. I know this is season that we think about Jesus' birth, but the more important thing is his death, right? His death has a message for us. Jesus, he was born to die. He's born to die because he wanted to reconcile us with God. Father, forgive their sins because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, he cried out. The innocent people, innocent person died to reconcile us with God. And that was a revelation of Jesus to Paul, Apostle Paul. He knew the sacrifice of Jesus was for the reconciliation. And then now, many times we find the word imitator in Paul's letters. Be imitator of Jesus Christ. What he was trying to imitate. He was copycating what Jesus has done. Being a reconciler. Or being a mediator for the reconciliation. Okay, uh, can we have... PowerPoint, okay. Saint, Saint Francis prayer. This is well-known prayer, you and I, we all know. Can we just all read this prayer out together? Okay. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let soul love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving what we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. I mean, this is pretty much the message of the gospel. Gospel, 
is reconciliation in some sense. Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us with God. If it stopped there, the gospel is not in full fullness because gospel includes us to be a reconcilers. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. Every single Christian, our duty is to be a reconciler with God first and with others as well. With myself as well. There is a big area of reconciliation. So, when we talk about reconciliation, there are three areas. With God, uh, mainly we call this salvation. Or with myself, maybe restoration of identity and destinies the, with others. Because the, the reason that I, my image is damaged is because of the environment that I have been through. Mainly, normally with the friends or relatives and families and in schools and colleagues. So there are need of reconciliation. Uh, it's interesting that in Korea, I've been watching some Korean documentaries, uh, quite a lot of you know, uh, uh, broadcasting stations are dealing, talking about making this film of reconciliation, to, in, not in a Christian society. In a secular society, uh, quite a lot of you know, reconciliation journey they created. And then see, uh, it, 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 implication is the, the world is recognize the needs of the reconciliation. We all know that there are areas of reconciliation, of restoration, of healing. And then the world is just spotting on this. And then, but this is a body of Christ. As a body of Christ, this is our job. Because Jesus is the main center of reconciliation. The reconciliation can happen when we have reconciliation with God. We can have, we can reach to a certain level of reconciliation, but without having Christ in it, it, it will be superficial level, I would say. So our first step for the reconciliation must be the reconciliation with God. And it's not, it doesn't just say about, you know, uh, the salvation. Maybe it doesn't say about Intimacy, on ongoing intimacy, closeness with God. Our regular in our regular basis, we keep relating with God, and with myself, and with others around. So, yeah, we read this, uh, you know, prayer, the Saint Francis prayer. But my question today is, what about us? What about us? Where am I? My relationship with God. My relationship with myself. Do you see the needs of reconciliation in people around you? Or do I have something that I can reconcile with other people around? Mainly family, you know, first hand and colleagues. If so, what kind, what kind of applications we can think about, especially in this season that Jesus is born, to reconcile us? So, two things I will suggest today. First, can we be really thankful for, not just for the birth of Jesus, but his death for reconciliation? Let's be thankful that Jesus died on cross so that he can reconcile us with God. And that is good news. That is gospel. Very, very good news. 
and coming from East, you know, Buddhism and all, no other religion has this kind of grace and mercy. No other God on the planet has this kind of mercy and grace and love for humankind. Act of grace to send his one son to die for us. Second, how can I be an imitator of Jesus Christ? Paul, he tried to be an imitator of Jesus Christ. He knew that he has to, he didn't, he has to, he, he must not give it up. That is a way to bring the kingdom of God in his life and through uh, to other people around. Where am I? Am I at the point that I want to give it up? Or do I need to pursue? But we need God's grace to do it. But God's desire, deep in his heart, his desire is to bring reconciliation with people around. So, shall I pray for you? And then, uh, yes, God, uh, we remember that a baby Jesus was born more than 2,000 years ago. But we still remember he died on the cross for all humankind to have this grace and mercy and uh, unyielding love for all of us, God. You died on the cross to reconcile us. Thank you so much for this wonderful good news. And then thank you so much for Paul's work for reconciliation, to bring unity and reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles. We are sitting here together to worship the same Father in heaven, God, because we are reconciled because of Paul's obedience. So in the name of Jesus, we just express our gratitude. We are ever so thankful for what you have done on the cross. They help us to really grow more into who we are because you created each one of us to be an imitator of Jesus Christ. And that you met with us and you saved us and you are wanting us to be like more like Jesus Christ. So in this season, God, I pray that you just convict our hearts and then and then I cry out for the mercy in Christ, especially if there's anyone around us that needs, uh, that has the need of the reconciliation. God, I pray that this season we will grow into more uh, of who we are and uh, to be the imitator of Jesus Christ, to get reconciled. So I know that uh, you have given us authority and anointings and responsibilities at the same time as a reconciler. So this is your work. And then you have such a strong and deep desire in your heart for us to be the reconcilers. So we are grateful for this calling. So we are saying yes to this calling and ministry of reconciliation to bring the kingdom on earth. So I pray for all of us, God, that you bless us, God, anoint us, God, and humble ourselves so that we can be in line with the Lord and with myself and with the people around. In your name I pray. Amen.